Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew, and tonight I'm super excited for our guest. I'd like to welcome to the show former FBI investigator, the real X-Man, John D'Souza. John, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm great, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh. Really happy to be here with you today with you and your audience and uh, be talking on Forbidden Knowledge News. <laughs> awesome. Great. And thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. And I thought we would start with, of course, a little bit about your background and then what brought you to, um, you know, your current path and um, this uh, phenomenon that you're currently researching. Sure. Uh, you know, for your audience, uh, I'm John D'Souza, uh, called the X-Man. I was a special agent of the FBI for over 25 years. I was, uh, during that time, I maintained a top secret security clearance and I worked counterterrorism investigations, pretty high profile things. Uh, also, I worked uh, some paranormal cases for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so f during that time, I collected what I like to call the real life X-Files. And I share those with people now in my books, uh, my books like the Extra Dimensionals and uh, the Para Investigators. And I try to make people understand things about these these events and these realities that are so important today because we see developments in them every single day. And what brought me to this path in the paranormal was even my, I had experiences even as a teenager, even before I, before I ever joined the FBI, I had my experiences. I had my obs with, uh, in ufology, I had my observation experiences. I had my, uh, my contact experiences also. And as soon as I got into the FBI, uh, through a series of events that came together, I was also given uh, paranormal assignments, uh, paranormal involved assignments to do and to work on. And uh, those are available for people. People can see them. Uh, people can see them actually in a, a, a show called The X-Files from the 90s that uh, came out way back then. And... Uh, in the first and second season of that show, they used a lot of my experiences uh, to uh, for the for the stories in the X Files, and that also was kind of an involved story. And I, so I basically have been involved with the paranormal basically throughout my entire life, uh, both ufology and other phenomena as well. And if people want to see some of those experiences, they can just go to Fault. Um, to FBI, uh, sorry, to vault.fbi.gov, and which is the repository of all declassified uh, cases, and they can just go and hit on that big old tab that says uh, 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 "unknown phenomena," "unexplained phenomena." And they hit on that, and then that opens up a whole bunch of all the supernatural cases that have been studied in the FBI over the last hundred years, and that's would including animal mutilations, uh, extrasensory perception, UFOs, uh, JFK assassination, many others. And a lot of those, and those cases are in there. And anybody can look at them and they're free to download those documents. Anybody can go get them. Well, awesome. Thank you for that. And I know you've probably told this story hundreds of times, but I think it's important to kind of set 
the the premise of what you've been through and um, with your experience and research. Can you tell us a little bit about those personal experiences, maybe your first contact and any other contacts you had? Sure. When I was about uh, 10 years old, I had uh, my uh, parents took me out to a, a party uh, in uh, New York City, and I was with a bunch of little kids. Um, we ran out into the night, and we were kind of playing. It's like one in the morning, way past our bedtime, and uh, they're out there. Uh, something happened. All the kids ran away, and I stayed there. And I was looking up at the sky, and it was a star, beautiful starry night. And I was looking up at the sky, and there was a dark ink cloud that was kind of in the middle of everything. And I looked at that, kept looking at that cloud, and out of the bottom came some spotlights that came out, and they came towards me. And it was one of these, like, just looked like one of these old-fashioned sort of flying saucers, a disc looked metallic and it just came down towards me hit me with those bluish greenish sort of spotlight that came down over me and i just felt the contact with this this thing this uh this ufo that appeared to me i had a sense of it that it was not an earthly entity it was not an earthly thing and it just kind of passed through me this spotlight and two girls appeared on my left, uh, teenage girls. They were just screaming, looking up at the same thing I was. And one of them yelled at me, little boy, you better run home. Uh, the world might be ending. And uh, they kind of woke me up. And myself and the flying saucer, it looked like we changed our mind at the same moment because I took a step back out of that spotlight. And the thing reversed course and started going back up into that dark ink cloud. And like a cartoon character just kind of that uh, jumps in the hole and pulls the hole in after it. Thing just went up into that cloud and the cloud was gone. I could see the stars again and that was it. And uh, so I ran back to my where my parents were. I tried to tell them what happened. And uh, later that week, I had my first contact experience, uh, which was a couple of beings uh, came in to my bedroom and the room changed so that I went stiff. The air, everything changed. And I just went stiff like a blank, like a plank. And then I felt what I assumed were like little children coming into my room and they were lifting me up like a board, sort of like a board half filled with helium there. And it, because wherever they put me, I stayed there in the air. And then I just saw the ceiling coming closer and closer and closer. And they were lifting me up towards that. And then my head just, my forehead just bonked against the ceiling. They couldn't put me through the ceiling, even though I could see they were passing through the ceiling easily. But for some reason, I wouldn't come through. And they were that was very unexpected to them. And now I could see them as they were examining the spot on the ceiling where they were looking. They were examining to see what was wrong. And I could see that they were not little children. They were like these grayish sort of creatures that were slender-bodied, weird-shaped head. And I could see those black sort of wraparound eyes that they had that were not human and they were lowering me and were uh, and they were climbing on top of nothing there was nothing there but they were somehow climbing up and trying again bonking my head again against the the ceiling and as they did that, i was able to move my neck more and more and i kind of looked over to where my parents were their their bedroom was adjunct was right off from my bedroom and the door was wide open and I could see two more of these beings on the ground holding their hands up over the bed like they were creating some kind of stasis field keeping my parents asleep even though I could see they were struggling in pools of sweat they were struggling to wake up but they couldn't and these and then the one nearest to me looked over at me as I was straining my neck to look over at it and it looked at me and made eye contact with those big black wraparound eyes and I just heard the words, he's awake. And when I heard those words, it's like a cord was cut and I just fell right back down into my bed like a sack of potatoes. And they were gone. They were all gone. The room changed back again and it was just normal. And then I was sitting up thinking, how was I going to wake up my parents? And that I, would I was feeling I would never sleep again. And then I just conked out, fell asleep. I, we didn't wake up for many hours later, and uh, there were the adults were shuffling around, trying to create a story of what had happened, uh, so that uh, and so that they could have their story straight. 
And that was it. That was my contact experience and my observation experience as well. So it seems that they couldn't, you know, lift you through. Do you think that there's a reason why you specifically, they couldn't get as to some people, you know, they successfully abduct? Yeah, I, I, there has to be a reason. I don't know what that reason was. Um, some people tell me, now that I've been in the community for quite a while, uh, some people tell me it's they made a mistake in reading my DNA uh, or blood type had something to do maybe with blood type uh, or some kind of mistake was made when they did that examination of me with that spotlight. And that's why they couldn't, or maybe I have an extra ingredient that they were not expecting. Uh, could be that as well. So whatever it was, it was just not, it was too much for them to deal with. Yeah, it seems like, you know, some people just don't have contact. As for myself, I've really never seen a UFO. I've seen some things that may have resembled a UFO, may have thought, but I wasn't sure. And it seems like some people have, you know, frequent contact with these beings. Um, would you say that's, you know, pretty correct? Absolutely. Uh, there's people who are contacted and then there's intergenerational contact. Contacts keep on going. Uh, when they have kids to their kids and then grandchildren and it's just something that they just get designated uh, but as for me after that initial attempt I never had contact again I mean except professionally through my career um, when I had to have uh, contact related to that now based on your research these entities they may not even be from the far reaches of outer space. They may be a lot closer than we think. They may be, you know, right on the other side of the veil here. Um, would you say that's accurate? Yes, as a matter of fact, that's what I've always written about uh, in my book, The Extra Dimensionals. The whole point of that, of that book is that I don't believe alien visitors are physical. I don't believe they are at all. I don't believe they're coming from other solar systems, other galaxies, and coming across time and space in tin cans, like, uh, like we're taught, we're always taught that they're physical. Ever since Roswell crash, uh, we're always taught that uh, aliens have an imminency because they're all physical, just like us. Uh, well, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe they're anything like us. I don't believe that they would lock themselves into tin cans to uh, sail across space, because that's not what they're doing. Apparently, from everything I've seen, uh, both even even in the FBI, uh, everything I've seen has revealed to me that alien visitors, real ones, the real ones, are completely not physical, and that maybe they are for short. Sometimes they can make themselves physical for short periods of time, but fundamentally their nature is not to be physical. And the same with real UFOs. You, real UFOs are more like plasmas than metal ships. They are made out of uh, a material that has shifting states, shifting states of matter and energy. So and they wouldn't they actually not, give uh, pilots to these UFOs? I don't believe they are. I believe they are, they are uh, empty. Uh, real UFOs are empty. They are, are like, uh, and they are a form of life as well. They are alive. They are conscious. They may not be biological the way we are, but they are conscious and they have their own life form. Life, and they accompany alien visitors, kind of like, uh, kind of like cats would uh, accompany uh, as familiars, or familiars would accompany uh, sorcerers or witches, and to do their bidding, to do uh, little tasks for them. And the task that they do is that they collect information on us. And that data, they collect that data to bring back to alien visitors. That's what all the investigations I have seen have really uh, reinforced for me over and over again. Now, would you say that these entities, some of them are malevolent and some of them are benevolent? Yeah, exactly. You know, like uh, Jesus said, uh, you will know them by their deeds, by their fruit. Uh, what are they producing? And that's, that's an eternal saying that applies basically across the board. And basically, you just have to look in investigations. You just have to look at what are they doing? What are they creating? And some of them clearly 
are malevolent. Some of them clearly have these experiences, create these experiences where they produce nothing but darkness, terror, and horror for people. Uh, that's all they create. But some of them, you look at the experiences and they're doing positive things. They do positive things. They do good things. They create, uh, they uh, come and do things that can only be interpreted as being positive. Uh, and mostly, and that happens a lot in, because I've talked to the subjects. I've talked to the people who have had diseases healed by multidimensional uh, alien visitors that they've come in contact with who have had their lives improved, who have even have special abilities that have been increased in them uh, through their contact with alien visitors. So there's, so there's no way around uh, the fact that there are alien visitors that are malevolent and there are some that are benevolent, that are for our, that look upon us as, as brothers, as, people that they wish beings that they wish to support to uplift and to help and that's the, that's what i get from the witnesses that i have spoken to do you ever get the sense that some of them are somewhat maybe harvesting energy in a way from humans absolutely that's one of the primary functions with malevolent alien visitors that they have set up this planet for and that they have set up uh, structures for, uh, especially working with the elite powers in control. They have set up a system where they collect, collect uh, this. Uh, they collect many of these negative emotions from us that produce an energy, a type of energy, that benefits them, that helps them, and that they seek out, as well as the harvesting of uh, of bodies and people that they appear to take away uh, from us. Uh, every year and that's something those are arrangements that are made with the elite powers in control who have made these arrangements since since long long ago and in exchange for some of our some of our bodies that go to them uh we they receive uh, they receive continued control over us over humanity and uh and we receive also technology as well it appears and that's what all every investigation that you do in this area always leads back to these basic truths that seem to occur. Now you kind of led into one of my questions about the elite powers in control. Now, how far do you think this communication or this odd relationship between these entities and these the elite powers in control have gone on? Oh well, I think they've always gone on, but there are certain. Uh, high points where we can look back in history and we can see that the uh, the malevolent alien visitors were coming together with uh, with the elite powers in control to try to establish a higher order of relationship with more commerce going back and forth and one of those points was uh, World War II when uh, when Hitler and the Nazis were working closely with some malevolent alien visitors that were giving them technology, that were giving them uh, the ability to win the war with, uh, and had UFOs on their side working with them. And we saw that terrible clash in Antarctica when uh, we, had, we had a Navy battalion sailing over to New Schwabenland in Antarctica to destroy Hitler's forces out there. Operation High Jump. Exactly. Operation High Jump, Admiral Byrd, and what happened? We had a bunch we know from pieces of the diary, of Admiral Byrd's diary and other, other uh, interviews that he gave before he was shut down. We know that a fleet of UFOs came out and destroyed the, uh, the uh, United States battalion that was, uh, that was on its way out there and destroyed them, just took them apart. And Admiral Byrd had to had to uh, abort the op operation and, and go home, basically. Uh, so we know that at that time, there was a section, a um, portion of malevolent alien visitors that were working with Hitler. But for some reason, at the end, at the end, they decided to pull the plug on him because he had he had everything that he needed to win the war. Right. And he had and he had the UFOs on his side. He had everything, but they decided to pull the plug on him, and. Nobody knows why. Uh, maybe it was the benevolent alien visitors that that decided to uh, to stop that. 
and, and but whatever the reason was, they pulled the plug on him and uh, and decided that no, this was not the time and this was not the place, and they were not going to help him uh, win ultimately. And so that's that's one of the high points of of cooperation with the uh, elite powers in control and the uh, and the malevolent alien visitors. Another one was was just a short time later, uh, Roswell, the Roswell crash, right. when the malevolent alien visitors and the elite powers in control created this uh, this hyped up uh, uh, alien physical craft, supposed that was that was crashed by the side of the road to show everybody that uh, alien visitors are just like us, that they're just physical. You know, you can have a car crash and you can end up dead by the side of the road, and they're just like us. So that happened to them. And there's the there's the hybrid bodies that we got out of the, the ship. Uh, but they also accomplished another point that they wanted, which was to transfer technology to the nations. And that's why we had in 1947, the huge explosion of technology to all the nations, which really happened from that, from the Roswell crash. And so, yeah, so that's another high point. And that was really the high point of cooperation between alien visitors and the elite powers in control when they decided to send out the mandate to all nations that any truth about UFOs or alien visitors had to be covered up and denied by any nation anywhere in the world. And that has basically been been rock solid wall against against truth in this area since 1947. And now since last year, of course, as you know, as you know, Chris, we had this uh, this little crack in that wall where uh, where uh, CNN and New York Times have been ordered to treat UFOs as real as something right. real and serious that they have to really talk about. And they look really confused when they're doing it because this is against their orders that they had for so long, and you can see the pain on their faces as they're as they're sitting there doing these interviews. And but anyway, but that's a very very tiny crack in that truth embargo, a very small one. But we need to take advantage of it and keep pressing in this area uh, for truth and to bring down that wall, bring down that wall against truth, uh, so that uh, we can really start spreading uh, the truth of what's really going on in this area. And we need to take advantage of that now. Now, as for bringing down that wall, do you think disclosure would ever come from our government or will it come from these entities or will it ever come? Oh, no, we're going to have revelation, not really, um, not really disclosure, uh, because the governments don't really have anything to disclose. Um, <clears throat> I think we're going to have, for instance, um, we're going to have some of the release of the... Uh, alien technology that's at, and that is at Antarctica right now, where all the nations are kind of jockeying for, for a portion of that right now. And I think we are going to have that. And, but it's not going to be a disclosure because the governments can't, cannot admit that they've had um, the ability to stop uh, disease and to give free energy for 40, 50 years. They can't. Knowing they cannot reveal that. They can't admit that. That that will never be admitted. They can't because that would be that would be beyond the worst thing they could ever admit. But I think there will be release and there will be a revelation of this alien tech, of this uh, superior technology that is going to be coming out very soon. And I think it's going to be through uh, it's going to be through Putin, uh, through Trump and other world leaders as well. And they're going to democratize a lot of this technology. And I think it's going to be happening pretty, pretty soon. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned Antarctica. And, you know, a couple of years ago, they had the um, Buzz Aldrin and um, John Kerry and all these world leaders visiting Antarctica. And is this the reason why they're going to check out all this uh, ancient alien tech? Well, that's part of it. Another part of it, it seems, is that they are being summoned to Antarctica because there's something alive there, something that is above human and that is alive and that is summoning these world leaders to go there. Because that's the only explanation there could be for 
somebody like uh, Secretary of State John Kerry to drop everything on election night, and when he should be he right. should be with Obama in a room strategizing what they're going to do, and instead he drops everything and suddenly he gets on the plane, uh, which is actually like five different planes that you have to get on in order to get to Antarctica over like a period of like 15 hours or so. And the only reason he would do that is because he's being summoned to go there. The same thing with the uh, Eastern Orthodox Pope, the Pope of, of, uh, of Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, who, who all of, who's a, a man who's like in his 80s, and he is the Pope of the entire Eastern Orthodox religion. And he had, not only did he have to run down to Antarctica all of a sudden, but he had to go meet with the Catholic Pope. The first time they've ever met in like a thousand years, he had to go meet with him, get some notes from him, and then run down to Antarctica. Why? Because he's being summoned first by someone who is more powerful than any national leader. Uh, apparently, I mean that's the only explanation I see. Just from what I know of human behavior, especially of high political leaders like this, this guy is not subject to any nation, any national leader, and yet he ran, he ran like a dog in a in a in a race to uh, go to Antarctica on a, on just a moment's notice, uh, and that's the only way that these guys have to go to Antarctica so quickly, is because they are being summoned by some. There is something in Antarctica that is not human, that is alive, and that has authority, I guess, to, to be able to summon these different political leaders to have to come there and hold court with this thing, whatever it is. Wow, that is fascinating. And to think that there is an entity that has been there, and that leads me to, there's theories that Antarctica could have been Atlantis. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I think Atlantis is, according to all of the uh, alternative scholars that I have listened to and seen, uh, it seems pretty uh, convincing that Atlantis is not a continent. It's not one country. It's, Atlantis was basically the entire world, the entire Earth, uh, one layer below before. Uh, it was basically what the entire world was before, during a previous incarnation before the recorded history of man. So I think, uh, I think that Atlantis is not just Antarctica, if it was. I mean, it very well could be. But even if it is, it's, Atlantis was not just Antarctica. It was probably the entire planet at that point where we were in a much more advanced state. We were in a much, more, a much higher state of technology. And we had much more communing with what you call the gods and that's that's the age of man that was the atlantis age that was going on right and i want that kind of brings me back to um your the extra dimensional uh theory now um do you think we live in a multiverse where we live in multiple realities at one time absolutely we do uh anybody who goes to sleep and dreams can see that that it's the case. We have many realities going on constantly, but um, but what's funny about about this reality is that if you look at the evidence that's all around us, uh, we have so much to consider, even in just a single reality. Before we start going off to all the different multi-dimensional realities, uh, it appears that the reason why we have no life currently, I mean, and this is hard for people to accept. It appears that in this dimension, in this physical reality, it appears there's no life out there. There's no life out there currently going on uh, because of Fermi's paradox. They would be here already. They would be here openly. 
they would be uh, they would be openly making commerce with us and so forth. But we see when you get ready when you get through the fakery of NASA and the other space agencies and you go look at the real pictures what's going on uh, you see that there's ruins and structures on Mars on the moon on the dark side of the moon Jose Escamilla's work uh, you can see that other planets in our solar system have built structures have civilization grid lines that are there I mean there's pictures of things on Mars that appear to be currently functioning appear to be going on right now and as long as you don't look at the fakery of, of NASA and all the other space, space agencies, you can see what's really going on. So what it looks like, and the same is true here on Earth. There's uh, this whole entire grid pattern, talking about Atlantis, of structures and things from the previous age of man, supposedly, and that could not have been built by even our present state of technology. So what that says to me is that it appears that our own reality, uh, like they said, like they say in the, in the movie *The Matrix*, it appears that there have been several iterations of our civilization, of our human civilization. Maybe, maybe human, maybe mixed with other things too, that have happened, have come to an end. But instead of just erasing all of our reality and start clean, they basically have used the same matrix. Of this physical reality and just kind of superimposed us on top of it over and over again that's what it looks like to me which is a really wild thought because why wouldn't they just erase everything and start over apparently they haven't because that's why we see all these ruins that uh, that appear to exist on almost every planet in our solar system and yet there's no life going on there currently except for us. So that's a, so that's a strange thing to consider when you're looking at even just one reality. Wow, so that being said, it could be a lot easier to make contact with these entities than NASA is trying to do by sending out probes and all this stuff. We may yeah. be just be able to, you know, meditate or go within ourselves to contact exactly. these entities. Exactly. You have a greater chance of uh, contacting extra-dimensional, extraterrestrials uh, by going into a good deep meditation than by locking yourself into some tin can being shot off into space because they ain't out there. They're here with us right now. And all you have to do is be able to penetrate these levels, these Vedas, these uh, Lokas, and be able to penetrate to the next level, which we can do. We have because the trick is because they are these creatures are extra dimensional in nature, but the real trick is we are also extra dimensional in nature because we have that within ourselves. And so we need to learn how to reach out on our own and be able to contact these creatures, the benevolent ones, hopefully, and be able to see what our next steps are going to be from here so that we can reach our potential, the potential that we really need to reach. So do you think that's what outfits like CERN is trying to do, maybe break through that veil? Very possible, but according to everything I've seen from them, they're not reaching out for the benevolent uh, creatures. They appear to be working with the malevolent ones because I see a big old statue of Kali, the death Great. goddess, outside of their offices, right at their main headquarters building. And that's not a good harbinger of what they're, what they're up to. So, yeah, we need to... We need to stop paying attention to uh, agencies like NASA that have been proven to, that are dedicated to making us all look in the wrong direction, to make us keep us looking up at empty space and uh, to keep us uh, in that frame of thought where we're always looking at the wrong things and we're thinking that space travel is something that is going to help us, it's for our benefit. It's not, it's not going to, it's the reason they push space travel so much is not for our benefit. It's to benefit the nations. It's to benefit what they want, which is that they want mining. They want to get their hands on some of those ruins I was just talking about because they can get, because it means power for the nations. That's what they want. They always seek power 
And that means mining, mining colonies. That means uh, getting their hands on, on alien tech, on things that give them power. But for us, that probably means slavery having to actually work those mines and having to work uh, rest getting some of this uh, technology, which is not going to be good for us. It's only going to be good for the nations that just increases their power. That's what they really want. So do you think we currently have something going on, possibly on Mars, maybe on the moon? I believe we probably do, but that's probably under the uh, secret space program, which is maintained out of the reach of NASA and the regular space agencies that above their level. They may participate like in a compartmentalized way where you know you have to produce certain widgets to help the secret space program and but you don't even know what you're doing yourself because you're not told. So they could have limited involvement in that way. But uh, but doesn't mean they have any of the real information on the secret space program as far as how it's how it actually works but i'm sure it works with and this is just speculation on my part um, i'm sure that it works with jump pads jump platforms teleportation uh not not like locking yourself in a in a, in a tin can and being right. fired into space i don't think it i'm sure it does not work that way but yes to answer your question ultimately i believe because of all, of, I do believe that we have uh, colonies, uh, very possibly have colonies uh, working on Mars right now. Uh, and the real thing that convinces me that that is true is the amount of these fake whistleblowers that have been sent forward to make us believe the opposite. In other words, you know, they sent forward these, uh, these, uh, these very carefully groomed uh, fake whistleblowers that say, "Yeah, I was a, uh, I was on the, I was in Mars with Obama. I was with him, and we were both young kids, and we were working the mine out there. And there was a bunch of kids out there, and it's been going on for forty years, and and with, without a shred of evidence, you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a great saying. There's a saying that uh, science, uh, that PhDs like to say, academics, that great claims require great evidence. Well." Having been a lawyer uh, for a long time, having been uh, in the in the court system for a very long time, I, I know that that's not true. That happens not to be true. Great claims do not require great evidence. They absolutely don't. What they require is great claims require some evidence, some evidence, just enough to survive a motion to dismiss because whatever you say is true, there's always going to be cynics and scientists that come forward to say, oh, that's not true. We got to get rid of that. Just get rid of it. Don't, don't even consider it. And if you have some evidence, I mean, just some uh, of what you're saying is true, uh, then you're able to survive that uh, motion to dismiss and you're able to put it forward to the fact finder, which in this case is you. It's the audience is the people listening. They're the fact. They're the people who are going to decide, is this a fact? It's not a fact. Maybe it is. They're the ones who have to decide. And if you just have some evidence, just something that backs up what you're saying, you're able to push that forward. And you have, and you will survive that motion to dismiss. And you will have it in front of the audience who then can decide, can put basic tests and say, okay, this is credible or this is not credible. And that's what we need to always do. Uh, and so when somebody comes forward and says, yeah, I was with Obama on Mars and I was, you know, they don't have to have great evidence. They don't. They just have to have something, something that they can show and say, you know, this is what it is. Here it is. Uh, you know, and now you consider it. You consider whether it's credible or not. Otherwise, yeah, you got you to gotta dismiss that stuff if it's not. But the amount of these guys... The amount of these guys that have come forward with this Mars, you know, uh, people, they are designed to fail. They are designed to make us uh, believe that they have to be dismissed, that this whole secret space program thing, Mars, colonies on Mars, that it's all BS. It's all nonsense. And rightfully so. That's all very predictable behavior. If, you, if somebody comes forward and makes a claim like that and 
the trick is this. Those guys are put forward on purpose in order to make, to make the whole subject matter be frozen in a context of bizarreness and stupidity so that no one ever again will look at this area and say, yeah, I guess that could be true. No, because that's why these whistleblowers are put forward. Uh, the ridiculous ones, the ones yeah. that, that are just saying crazy stuff with no evidence whatsoever. No evidence. Because remember, you don't need great evidence, but you do need some. And they're put forward on purpose. And when you see that, you have to, I as an investigator, right away I think this is an op. This is some kind of psychological operation to cover this area. Why? Because they're worried. They're worried that you, Chris, are going to dig into this and that you are going to say, hey, there's, there's the pictures, the ones that NASA didn't want us to see. There's these pictures, these pictures, there's this, this, and there's testimony here. And yeah, it looks like we have colonies, people on Mars. Uh, it looks like they're there. And they don't want that. So that's why you're going to see more of not, not, uh, not credible whistleblowers, but ridiculous ones. And you're going to have them, have them come forward more and more. And you're always going to see that in the area of Mars colonies. And all of that makes me absolutely believe, as I do now, that we do have colonies on Mars. And that's why they're trying to cover it up so much. Yes, I agree. And speaking of the misdirection, uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the Trump Space Force? I think <laughs> that the Trump Space Force is not what it appears to be. With Trump, nothing ever is. Uh, because he thinks at a different level than everybody else. He's, uh, he's, he's a devotee of Sun Tzu, if you've ever, if you've ever read that. Uh, he's a complete devotee of Sun Tzu methods of war. And what that was, when he did that announcement of the Space Force, he did that for one, reason, uh, for one main primary reason, and that was his announcement to the elite powers in control that he is coming for their secret space program. And he's bringing an army with him. That was basically, that was the primary uh, purpose of that whole Space Force thing. Because right now they have this tremendous uh, secret space program that absorbs economic power from all the nations black money that takes black money from all the nations, especially the United States. Uh, you know, there's trillions that are missing at the Pentagon uh, over, over how many years. And the same is true from the other industrialized companies, uh, countries. And so you've got all these resources and you've got all this secret space program going on and they are above the presidents and the prime ministers. The prime ministers are not read into this program. Uh, neither are the presidents. But now, we, now there's one president who basically made an announcement that he is coming and he is going to participate in that secret space program. And not only that, he's going to take it over. And that's what that announcement was all about. It's pretty wow. wild. So, so you believe Trump is, is genuinely trying to take down the cabal? Well, that's part of what he's trying to do. But he's also, but it's not just him. This is a worldwide movement. I mean, that includes uh, Putin, who is, that includes all of the nationalist populist leaders who are currently in a state of global rebellion against the elite powers in control that have, that have dominated our, our nation and our planet for how long? I mean, I couldn't even calculate how long uh, through using the central banking systems and everything else. Uh, but yeah, but basically for the first time in I don't know how long, uh, probably since the French Revolution, uh, we have a group of nationalist populist leaders that are, and this is much bigger than Trump, uh, who, are, who have openly declared rebellion against the elite powers in control, against the central banking dynasties, against these, uh, all of these powers that sit above the nations and that give them their orders every, every day. And that Space Force thing uh, was just a giant, a big slap in the face to them 
basically to tell them that he is coming. And also the Space Force also is uh, another method that I believe he's going to use to democratize, to let out and democratize some of this, uh, this alien space technology, this alien technology that is going to be given to all of us. And he's going to probably use the Space Force because you can't do, like we said before, you can't do disclosure from the governments. You can't do that. But I believe he is looking for a way to let out this technology and say, oh, the Space Force came up with this. You know, they, they found it. They got it through here or through there. And who's going who's gonna to contradict him? You know, nobody's going to say, hey, that didn't come from the Space Force. That came from, from us, uh, from the elite powers in control. We, we had that tech for a long time. Yeah. And you're, you're just saying that you got it from the – nobody's going to do that. So it's perfect. It's perfect on many levels for him to do that well that would be that would be great if that could uh you know if that could come to pass and um i'd like to take the last few minutes to talk a little bit about one of your more recent books clear hearers could you explain to us what exactly are clear hearers yes clear hearers are people who have an ability which is an ancient ability uh to uh perceive a great voice of authority great voice of authority uh, that comes in, not through the ears, but from basically everywhere else. And it is, it is an ability. It is not, uh, it's not like uh, voice hearers. Voice hearers are people who have a medical condition uh, where they hear voices. Uh, a clear hearer hears, uh, receives a single voice of authority uh, that comes in to help them, to uplift them, sometimes to save their lives. And it is something that is named after, it's actually named after Joan of Arc, who was the 14-year-old girl in the 14th century who saved France from going out of existence when France had basically been uh, overrun by the English and 90% of France had been taken over by the English uh, and they were basically about to go out of existence. And then a miracle happened and Joan of Arc had these voices come to her and she said the voice was the voices were Mother Mary. That's how she described it. And she and this were the voices that told her what to do, how to go forward, and that she would be the savior of France. And so the word clairaudience, clairaudient, came from Joan of Arc in France, which is actually a French word. Uh, clear hearers is the first English iteration of this word clairaudience, which just means to hear clearly clear hearing. And so, and there've been many other historical figures that also had the same abilities, uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, but in his case, his advisors said that it was because, uh, he would be blackout drunk. And so he would hear voices. Uh, and there's many other, there's many other figures, uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, Philip K. Dick, the great writer, he actually had a public press conference about his great voice that would come to him and speak to him and tell him also uh, Socrates. Socrates called his voice his great daemon, daemon. Uh, and it was a voice that would come to him when he was about to make a bad decision. So Clear Hearers is basically my investigation of in my own life as well, and the lives of others, of this voice, where it comes from, what it is, and how people can use that, use it to their advantage, and how it can help them in their everyday lives. And what would you say the source of this voice is? Well, the way I, the way that I have investigated this, uh, to me, I believe that uh, I reveal in this book what I believe ultimately the, the source is, which I believe is the person themselves, but, but on a multidimensional level, because like I said before, we are, we are ourselves extra dimensional as well. And so it is this, version of you that is in the eternal it is a version of you that basically barely remembers what it was like to be uh, a human being chasing after stuff but it is this great and grand eternal version of you that still feels a connection to you and that looks back at you and will always have love for you and want to support and uplift you that is ultimately the source of that great voice and I make the case for that in my book that's very interesting so it could even be a 
distant future version of you, but in a different, uh, different reality. Right. And that does not preclude the other answers that I investigate in my book as well. It doesn't preclude uh, alien. That could be an alien visitor because that could be your form in the future or angels. That could be your form in the future. You know, we don't know because the ulti ultimately the extra dimensional reality of this is something beyond our ability to understand right now. Wow. Fascinating stuff. And thank you for that. And I appreciate you coming on. John, do you have anything interesting coming up that you'd like to talk about? Absolutely. Yes. I have to talk about my uh, conferences conference I have coming up in October. I have, uh, let me get it, get it, get it, get it. Uh, I have my conference uh, coming up in October, uh, which will be a very a great conference, which looks like I just moved it from where I had it. And it will be in uh, Pasadena, California in October. And we will be uh, with Neil Gower and many, many other great, great uh, speakers. And we're very excited for it. And I, unfortunately, I moved it from my thing here. Uh, and uh, I will also be, uh, well, I'll be having a conference soon in China, which is, wow. uh, I'm signing up for now, which will be really, really something. Uh, so yeah, I have a lot of uh, things coming up. Uh, just finished Contact in the Desert, and we'll be having a lot, a lot of great events coming up that I hope people can get out to and spend time with us. Uh, doing this stuff. Definitely, definitely. And I'm going to leave a link to your site and your books in our description. John, thank you again so much for joining us tonight. We'd love to have you back on. And uh, you have a great night. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. It's great being on here with you. Awesome. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>